Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded once again at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, Editor of PW Comics World, and Editor of The Fanatic, PW's twice-a-month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter at, at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher. And on social media, we are at Facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. And don't forget, you can also let us know how we're doing by giving us a rating or giving us a thumbs up, you know, starring us, favorite, smash that like button. Let us know how we're doing. We love to hear from our listeners. Hey, and, you know, if any of you want to invite us on your podcast, give us a ring. Oh, yeah, we love to blab. And yeah. you can't tell who sure. this is. All three of us <laughs> are good uh, talkers. S tier blabbers. We're talkers. All right. All right. This week on More to Come. Pink Cat, booted from TCAF, uh, return uh, of some of the comics arts festivals. Repop International evolves, uh, show organizer arrested for bomb threats, comings and goings, and uh, we're talking about Bill, Bill Jimmis and uh, Joe Quesada. Uh Unionization comes to Seven Seas, and comics at PW's U.S. Bookshop. Okay, well, boy... Uh, well, I mean, this is sort of embedded in your uh, Comics Festival's return story, but uh, it's kind of, uh, you also have a more focused story on, on the beat. Right, but I mean, this uh, exploded over yeah. the Memorial Day weekend, and I mean, it started innocently enough when TCAF, which is coming back, I think we've talked about a little bit here. Uh, first time, some, you know, in person since 2019, like most shows, and, you know, started announcing guests, which are very late. Um, and, uh, I mean, let me prep, actually, let me preface this, because I'm going to TCAF, uh, uh, with my compatriots, uh, Bridget Alverson and Johanna Draper Carlson, as we usually do. And, you know, we're going to be moderating panels there. We love TCAF. Calvin, you're not going this year, but, you know, you've yeah. been to TCAF many yes. times. And yes. what it's is a, your yes. opinion of TCAF? Uh, I think TCAF is a great show. Yeah. Now, I mean, there's a, I mean, I actually, as part of this uh, controversy, uh, I actually discovered that there's some other feelings about TCAF, I mean, some, among some well, artists. Let's, but let's, that's let's, a side let's, issue. I'm just trying to, I'm but just trying to set the. I think it is the top, one of the top tiers, if not the top tier, of independent comics art festivals. And, and didn't, I and, and festivals in general, maybe, because they get a lot of people, and they did pre-pandemic, and yeah. they get as many as 20,000 people over the entire weekend. And I think you and I, off and Jody, your lovely wife, yes, Jody, absolutely. You know, yeah. I think we'd all say that TCAF was probably our second, maybe or maybe our maybe my favorite, first. maybe our it was favorite, my favorite show. It was my favorite show. And I think most people said it's their favorite yes. show of the year. So, okay, just I want to get that out there because, yes. and on this podcast, we've talked so many times about TCAF, and we're not the only people who love TCAF, Toronto Comic Arts Festival. Now, during the pandemic, a change of leadership. Uh, Chris Butcher, who was uh, stepped down following some allegations of, uh, I, I say racial insensitivity and not listening to some volunteers. And, um, you know, volunteers were unhappy. They were unhappy that they were volunteering, uh, not being paid. So, you know, new, yeah. new blood came in. They yes. put on a show virtually. And so, uh, I was working, but, but, you know, it's been rolling out very, very slowly. The show is in June. Um, it wasn't until maybe just a month out that we even had a list of guests. Now, if you're traveling internationally, especially in this time, um, you might, you Need know. some time to plan. You want, might want time to plan. So that's a little short, you know. I mean, I talked to Miles Baker, who is the showrunner, and, and we'll get to that too. But, you know, definitely things were moving very slowly, and they were finally announcing guests. So all seemed well. For the first list, but then with the second list of guests, they announced as uh, someone named Pink Cat, and in her bio, it just said she did an Instagram comic, and then it mentioned that she was doing NFTs, and all hell. <laughs> all I've never, yeah. I've never seen. 
I have never seen anything like the the two things. We've covered many, many outrages on Twitter, many, many controversies, and I've never seen the universal uh, scorn, hatred, vitriol, antipathy, and, uh, 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 whatever yeah. regarding this pink <laughs> cat. And the previous one was the Jeff Boyson image with his board at yacht mm-hmm. club. Uh, just every level, uh, people in mainstream comics, people in indie comics, people in web comics, people in in just watching comics. Just everybody just dumped and it just took off. Yeah, the indie community reacts violently to the notion of NFTs. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I say that comics community reacts violently. Yeah, well, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Unless they're doing that. Unless they're doing <laughs> that. So that's what's my point, too. Because yeah. um, <laughs> that's going on, too. Yeah. And so, so it quickly, people quickly noted that Pink Cat also was a big time swipe artist and uh swiped classic poses from Tank Girl Classic Illustration for her comics on Instagram. And then people started to to really drill down, you know, going to the way back machine and and digging up every her real name is Saba Moniel. She is uh an Iranian uh, she moved here as a child from Iran and lives in the Bay Area and um like super deep dive and found, you know, the one tweet where you know, she was transphobic and then the one interview that isn't even on the internet anymore where she used the word teepee, which is, of course, a slur against uh, indigenous people. Was and, it used in that way? Uh, you know, I can read, I can find the quote, read it to you, but you know, that's, yeah, that's yeah I mean, And then she yeah. also said, yeah. no, so, there's other things. As well. Other things, yeah. you know. She said that Pink Cat was black, and then I see some people claiming that she said she was black, not the character was black. And then the, I, I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen. And then, like with each discovery, it became more of a forum on whether TCAF was the worst thing that had ever happened and was, you know, this evil organization where everybody on the board owned NFTs and had ruined indie comics, or whether they just made a little mistake. Yes, and and they did. Yeah. They did, and, you know, and they reacted. Yeah. And they responded. Well, they did, but, you know, and I talked to a lot of people behind the scenes of this, and look, it was dumb. It was very dumb. To invite someone in who was pr- a proud NFT mentor. And you know, she, listen, she. And there's plagiarism issues. Yeah, the well. plagiarism issues. And, and cause she does a lot of copy. Yeah, but. Yeah. Now, I, this can be a strategy, uh, that's perfectly acceptable or at least, you know, not illegal. But I'm not sure how she tended to do well, it. Well, you know what? I'll tell you one thing. If you walk down an average artist alley. Of course. At an indie comic show. Uh, well. You uh, pass it. If you pass. Every table that you pass that does not have some kind of takeoff on Star Wars or video games or manga, I mean, put a balloon on that table. Yes, I, I well, think you'd have a full bag of balloons. Well, this is true. But but anyway, you know, it was it was Pink Cat was the whole package because then because she also was like you know saying snotty things on Twitter. She was she didn't <laughs> yes, back down. I, I, I give her you know what. I give her credit. She's got moxie. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she she gave back. She pushed she back for sure. Yeah, um, but I, you know, I talked to, so I, I just think two things happened here. I think TK, so TK, you know, I guess this really, like, the cauldron was fully bubbling by Sunday, and, you know, Memorial Day is not a holiday in Canada, so, so there was, you know, I think by Monday morning, the entire um, slate of accusations against uh, Saba Moyle had been laid out. And then everybody was like, why aren't they answering? Why aren't they responding? Yeah. You know, I can't believe it's taking them this long. What is the problem? It's like, you know. It's Sunday. Uh, well, it's, it's you know, like, it's Monday morning. You come mm-hmm. to work. Maybe you need to kind of talk about things. You, you can't move fast enough for internet you can't rage. Move fast enough for our rage. And then they said, you know, we're putting together a statement. And then people are like, why is it taking so long? Right. And if you write something stupid because you're rushed, yeah, well, that's right. even it's, worse. It's, right. And so then the next day, Tuesday morning at 11 a.m., they did put out a statement saying they'd rescinded their invitation to Pink Cat and, you know, and they, they apologized for not you know, they realized it was, it was, you know, they should have dug further, but they also said that she was invited because one of their staff, her work spoke to one of their staff members, 
And, um, you know, and then they did not say in there, uh, I mean, I reached out and I asked, I listened, look, does anybody on the TCAF staff own an NFT? Right. And right. they said no. And, you know, and, the, and the, because, and then everybody's like, well, they must be hiding it, you know, and I'm like, oh, I know, well, that's crazy. Yeah. makes it <laughs> impossible to hide these things. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, and then I think they did an important thing that they didn't harbor harassment of their staff and, so I, you know, I think they did the right yes. thing, and they did it fairly quickly. They yeah, said yeah, yeah. I mean, they, on, on Friday, and by Tuesday they disinvited her. But I, I talked to a yes. bunch of people privately, and you know, observers and people involved with TCAF, and we were just, we were just kind of shocked at the level of misinformation. Well, well, that's, uh, that's not unusual. <laughs> not unusual. But I, I just, I mean, it was just, you know, like TCAF went for this beloved show to um, something that everyone was disappointed in and, you know, can't, sorry, they're going. Yeah, well, that's unfortunate. 50 seconds. Uh, I mean, and as far as someone on the the board being in contact, I mean, you know, I mean, she's she's got a big following. She's, you know, she's not obscure in that regard. So, um, but, you know, I'm sure people did not really understand or for whatever reason, I just said, there's lots of ways to look at the nature of her work, you know, but... So, so uh, I think TCAF will survive this as well. Well, I hope so. Yeah, it seems so. like the faith of the you know yeah. community has been shaken. You know, my favorite. I think it'll survive. Yes, my favorite. I think so. I, think so but I, I just, I you know, I you guys say that, but I just feel like the emotional energy and wear and tear. You know, it's like Jeff Hardy when he fought Darby Allen at, um, you know, on AEW Dynamite. You know, he just can't... <laughs> like, you take wear and tear. I'm just right. saying, you know, you dive off a ladder. You've been doing it for 40 years. And, you know, the more times you dive off a ladder, the more time you undergo this trauma and outrage, it, it leaves a mark. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, don't know. I have to admit, this too shall pass. Yeah, so, I mean, how, and in speaking of passing, there, there's other shows going on. I, I really, I don't, I don't really see this as being like damaging the trial. Maybe, maybe it is. I, I think the pandemic and the reorganization time. that you write, you should write about further is going to have a lot more to do with the future, uh, the, the future of this show. Well, that's, you know, see, that's what cracks, see, Calvin, that's what really cracks me up. Because everybody was like, um, you know, like there's one indigenous artist who, uh, you know, over the TP slur, uh, wrote, you know, you know, they, I, I did the, they paid me to do the, 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 the key art for it last year. I can't believe they're giving this racist the same opportunity. It's like, well, she well, can't do the key art, you know? So it's just like all of these emotional feelings. So then I was like, oh, you know, I have an interview with the showrunner in an article. And then I linked the article. Now, how many times do you think that got retweeted? Twice, yeah. you know, an actual statement from the people. Anyway, that's just yeah. my observation. People yeah. don't want to know the truth. Well, some people don't, but I think there's well, a lot of people I mean, actually that do. I think people who want the truth are not people who burn up Twitter with hot takes. Yeah, and I agree. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. but that doesn't mean no one yeah. wants to read what you link. Yeah, I no, agree. that's true. I did get a, I, you no. know, I, I, and, and you've got actually a very good article. Which I think we should go over really quickly. Yeah, because, sure, yeah, yeah, because no, no, you, you know, because for one thing, and you talk with everybody at TCAP, there's some big changes coming on. They're coming out of the pandemic, and that's what's interesting about this show. We're coming out of this pandemic. Some shows, certainly some of the big shows are coming back to megacons that we, we, we've covered on the show, but also, uh, some of the smaller shows are finally coming back. Mocha was back, the Mocha Artsets was back early this year. Ah, cool. Okay. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, there's two shows that seem to be missing in action, and I was I got comments on the record from both showrunners, but you know, Comic Arts Brooklyn mm-hmm. yes. Does, yes. is definitely missing mm-hmm. in action, and we all love that show. Mm-hmm. And you talk with um, Gabe Fowler, talk with Gabe about it, yeah, and uh, Kala and mm-hmm. Comic Arts LA yeah. was a really wonderful show, much loved, and you know, they want to bring it back, but um, I I Money. mean, yeah, I, I yeah. well, they said also everybody's life has changed, you know, a lot, yeah, and these, I thought that was yeah, interesting all too. These Staffs are are really labors of love. Yeah. They're labors mm-hmm. of love yeah. by small volunteer staff, and you know people's lives have changed. Yeah, I mean the the, the, the Cala the Cala people in the, the show in L.A. They talked about you know how they're you know they they were basically uh, overly challenged by the, the various variants that came up. 
They're looking to start back. I mean, they certainly were optimistic. We'll mm-hmm. see. They, they saw their lack of having hotel contracts and the like as an advantage that they could be more flexible right. coming back. Um, I thought Gabe was very interesting that he's temporarily shut out of his venue at Pratt Institute. He was very funny. You know, I, I can't, and his staff, key wow. members had moved away because yeah. of the pandemic. But I, you know, these two are missing. I mean, there's some other shows that I wasn't able to confirm that they were coming. But I, I there's a bunch of shows that are coming back that we didn't mention, and, and they were very hurt that they were left out. So let me mention you okay. know, Van Calf, Van Calf oh, sure. mm-hmm. Festival actually just ran a couple weeks ago very successfully. Um, and uh, Mice, Mice is already oh, back. Yeah, Mice yeah. has already uh-huh. been. They've actually had an in-person show. Mice okay. is um, uh, Massachusetts Independent sure. Comics mm-hmm. Expo, and they will be back again this year. Um, and Short Run in Seattle is also returning. And they actually just just announced their return just just uh, this week. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so the the, the caps are coming back. Yeah. And your story mentioned also SBX, mm-hmm. uh, which is coming up. You know, um, in Bethesda, Maryland. And I think you mentioned also Comics Roads, Comics. Cartoon Crossroads Columbus, yes. as well as Cake in Chicago. Yes. yes. Well, Cake is still on hold. It's still on hold. Excuse me. Yes, right. That was on hold. Yeah. But they're still, they're still an, an entity that exists because they're more of a, mm-hmm. uh, you know, committee, I guess. So that, the, you know, they, we'll see. You know, Cake is also kind of missing in action. So, hey, listen, I'm working on my story about San Diego Comic Con and based on just my preliminary findings, there's going to be a lot of changes there. So, yeah, so that's, you know. Yeah. I mean, at TCAF, you mentioned, uh, there's not going to be a lot of, uh, satellite venues. There's not going to be any satellite no, venues. No, just the hotel uh, and the library. There's yeah. a new hotel that's the headquarters of the Bloorville, Yorkville one mm-hmm. that was right around the corner. We're not going to be able to use that anymore. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that as well. Uh, fewer volunteers. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very interesting, more paid staff. And, yeah, and fewer international guests. And, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah. In fact, it's going to be a hybrid show to some extent, yeah. apparently. So there's going to be video hookups as well. So. But, I mean, I think shows are going to have to morph. They're going to have to evolve. They're going to have to kind of be nimble if they want to keep going. Yeah, speaking of which, um, Heidi, can you give us any preview about what you know about San Diego Comic-Con and what's going to be different this year so far? Well, I don't want to scoop myself. Well, don't scoop yourself. uh, Let's just put it this way. There are a lot of very, very well-known comics publishers and booths who won't be there anymore. Interesting. Now, at least we'll be there with their giant booth. Right. I'm trying to confirm. There's been a lot of rumors. And, and like I said, I've just started doing this and uh, trying to get, um, you know, confirmation from people. Yeah. And so we'll see. We'll see yeah. what I, I find yeah, out. That's a so, good, that's so a good preview. What yeah. about ticket sales? Have, how have they varied? Well, the thing about this year's show is that oh, it's already completely sold out because yeah. they're honoring all their 2020 tickets. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. so they so don't they even need to sell because them. they couldn't refund them. Yeah. Got right. it. So they've been, you know. <laughs> it's been sold out for two years. Yes, yeah, it's been sold out for two years. <laughs> and they may, you know, obviously if some people aren't going to be able to go. Um, but... Um, yeah, it's, you can't get in. But I'm also hearing, I think I mentioned this before, like the, the hot rumor when I went to WonderCon a couple weeks ago, a month ago, two months ago, two months ago, wow, um, was that the studios are definitely looking to come back. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, we just saw Celebration, Star Wars Celebration, and mm-hmm. uh, big, they did a big splash there, you know? Mm-hmm. They had as big a splash as they can with uh, Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen. You know, comeback kid, Hayden Christensen, really happy to see him um, triumph again. And uh, there's going to be a D23 Expo in September, yeah. and uh, so, you know, I think everybody's trying to... Everybody's trying to come back? Come, yeah, come back. Mm-hmm. And in person is the best way. Yes. Uh, you know, online... Although we do, you know, we're going to be talking about the U.S. book show a little bit. You know, it has its place. It can be really great. But uh, in person with Hayden Christensen is absolutely the way to come. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think the idea of maybe recording the panels that happen in person mm. so that those people who can't come will have access is great. But I, I think the focus should be on the in-person. I think there's going to be more of that, what you're saying, too, the at least selected panels. Um, because you can just bring more fans in if you offered it as a support, you know, as a yeah, supplementary right. service. Well, there was there was know. something that uh, DragonCon did years ago when I would go there called DragonCon TV, where their major panels 
in between interstitials that were made by fans and sent in, um, would play on hotel, oh, on, yeah. on the hotel television system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, also while people were standing in line. Um, and I think that's a really cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they are. They're, they're, that is starting to be a thing that happens. And, um, you know, it's absolutely going to evolve. But that said, it's additive, digital yes. additive, but doing it in person is the real thing. Is the real thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Although I do wonder if maybe this will spice up anime programs more now that we've gotten used to guests zooming in and hybrid panels where most people are there but a few people are zooming in because, I mean, one thing that has afflicted anime programming is just simply the fact that the creators are half a world away. And even if they speak fluent English, they're still half a world away. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe there will be some more creators joining panels like that from around the world. Yeah, well, that's, you know, obviously what the, the online option mm-hmm. offers yeah, the show. Right, but I mean, like, you can even be an in-person one yeah. where just, like, one person is on the big screen. Being like, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, they did that in the before times, Mm -hmm. and everybody thought it was goofy. Well, I know, but now people are used to it. It was was a possibility before, but now people are used to it. Um, Well, you know, let's. um, We have a lot of convention. We have a lot of actually. Do you want to talk about U.S. Book Show? Um, Yeah, uh, yeah, and we can talk a little bit about the or at least mention it, read pop. Yeah, as well. And for those of you who may not know, the U.S. Book Show. PW's effort to basically replace uh, Book Expo, the long-running but now terminated re-exhibition trade show that brought the whole book world together. It was a book trade show. Um, we've done it with another. This is our second year of doing it. It's an online platform. It brings in just what we were talking about, panels, uh, and it had a big, obviously, comics contribution, including a keynote by, the, by our co-host, Heidi McDonald, with uh, Oscar Isaac, Yeah. Uh, uh, obviously well-renowned actor, but also a creative comic now, um, Head Wounds Sparrow. Oh, yes. Yeah. Memorable time. Yes, there we go. Uh, but in addition, there were, of course, editor's picks panel moderated by, uh, uh, Mick the graphic novel review editor, uh, that brought together, I think, young adult and, um, uh, middle grade, uh, graphic novel authors. Uh, and Bridget Alberson actually did a panel, I think, on, uh, Young adult, and you did also another yeah, panel. Yeah, I did middle grade. On middle grade, middle as well. Grade. So, no, lots of comics. Yeah. Content, uh, go to usbookshow.com. Basically, uh, the, they've archived everything. You can go back and look at stuff. All you have to do is register. I think it's free other than that. Mm-hmm. So, um, check us out. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, Kelvin, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, I hope this show is going forward. I mean, we need some kind of, Book Expo. You know, I think like everything else right now, everything is uh, in flux. Uh, it's the, the show turned out to be a really, I mean, it was good that the industry was excited about it. Uh, it was good as a revenue producer for PW because these trade shows, in addition to obviously bringing the publishing world together, they were a commercial event like mm-hmm. every, everything else. Uh, so it was a big success. Uh, even the second year, as you know, I understand it really worked out well. So I think PW is going to continue to do it. Um, it's interesting because uh, uh, I think the magazine has tried to partner with someone to do the physical side, but it's still uh, a tough, it's a tough buy right. to put on a physical trade book show. So we're going to see how that goes. But I think PW for the foreseeable future will continue to to support this because it basically has been a success. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, in the wake of Reed Pop, actually. Dumping all, you know, other book related well, things. Well, I, like you know, I've interviewed a bunch of Repop folks mm. in various stories, and, uh, you know, I snuck in a little, like, you know, background question about Book Expo, and, yeah, nobody sounded like uh, there was too many yeah. plans to bring it back. Yeah, no, there's no plans to bring it back um, at all. So, which yeah. is incredible, yeah. because... Well, it's our thing. Books are a thing, but and they're trade, still selling well. But a trade show hosted in New York City uh, at a major venue, and the cost and all of that around it, and particularly how the social interaction and publicity and marketing around books have evolved. Uh, you know, it's just it, it, economically for a giant trade ex- exhibitor, it didn't seem to work. That said, Calvin and Kate, 
uh, the excitement over the ALA show later this month is huge. Everybody is asking me, are you going to ALA? Are you going to be in Washington? And, you know, somebody got me a badge. So I actually, you know, if I don't okay. catch COVID at TCA, I might go down and try to catch it at uh, ALA annual. There you go. There's a new opportunity. Yeah, yeah. so uh, lots of new opportunities. But, yeah, no, um, that's a great show, the American Library Association and some random. I, people have been asking me as well. Yeah, so, I mean, it is, yeah. it's just amazing that enthusiasm over Book Expo uh, you know, like, you know, it was like somebody had a, a you know, left out, somebody left the restaurant with a box of spaghetti and spilled it on the street. And, uh, that's about as popular as Book Expo. Yeah, Book Expo. You know, it's, uh, I mean, the thing is, everyone in the business wants a centralized show, but that the put on and the logistics and the ability to make it a profitable venture, that seems to scare people away. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I you know look, I I've said this uh, many many times here on the podcast uh, when we've talked about going to BEA because we used to you know go and talk about it here on the oh, podcast, sure. and uh, you know I said uh, you never forget meeting your favorite author, you never yeah. forget it, and you know that was really the thing about it is it had so many authors and celebrities. Yeah. And people, you know, it created so much buzz and excitement about, you yeah, know, absolutely. keynote speaker, you know, like presidents, the Clintons and Obamas and everybody would speak there. And Oprah. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I mean, Oscar Isaac. I have gotten so many comments about this Oscar Isaac interview. Yeah. And, um, you know, like you did Keanu Reeves last yeah. year, you know, same thing. So anyway, I just, I hope both U.S. Bookshelf. You know, long live U.S. Bookshelf. Yeah, well, people <laughs> want to have some kind of a. Yeah, I mean, why should geeks be the only ones to get to enjoy a convention? Yes, I exactly. mean, but we know. love a comic con, we love a science fiction con, but you know, I mean, somebody who wants to see Oprah should have a con too. And you know, for, when it, when you do the thing online, it it, it works. It, it's worked for us, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, BEA is not the only show that Reedpop doesn't run anymore. Um, <laughs> I, so one of my writers at the beat, uh, Dean Simons, who lives in the UK, um, I don't know, he, he got it in, so, you know, this actually took place over the pandemic. I mean, mm-hmm. every event company has downsized, laid people off, and, you know, really changed, and, and, you know, let go of shows, but, but Repop, uh, if you recall, I mean, we talked about it here over the years. Um, you know, when Repop started, which was about 10 years ago, I guess, as Repop. As mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, as a consumer. Yeah, they quickly okay, started so. acquiring and uh, partnering yeah. with all kinds of shows. They put on a show in Singapore. They partnered with Comic-Con India. Yes. Which, uh, you know, I met the, the, the people who run it at, sure. at New York Comic-Con. They're so delightful. And the show really seemed to do well. And they Repop also purchased MCM. Which was a whole slate of shows in England, mm-hmm. in London, and Birmingham, mm-hmm. and Manchester, and Belfast, um, and uh, they also partnered with Ozcon. So they, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. they did uh, Comic Con yeah. Africa, and yeah. so and I met the, the organizers of Comic Con Africa. Yeah, and yeah. so over the years, there was a lot of fanfare and hoopla about the acquisition of these shows. You know, during the golden age mm-hmm. of Comic Cons, they seemed to be growing. But very quietly, I hadn't really noticed. Repop had started yeah. divesting themselves of these shows. So Dean went and did a super deep dive mm-hmm. and uh, really discovered they're, they're really only doing like maybe a couple of shows with MCM that they're even partnering with anymore. Like yeah. there's no more Singapore yeah. Comic Con. I mean, some, some shows seem to be furloughed, but they've stepped yeah. back from the international scene and they had a big international scene. Yeah. But they're still running their, they're obviously their US. Facing yes. uh, shows, well, but yeah, well, the, the pandemic. Basically, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Read does have an unfortunate history of buying shows that are perfectly good shows and saying, "Hey, we're going to run them," and then when these shows don't fit their business model, just going, "Oh well," and throwing them out. I mean, this is what happened with New York's long-running anime convention, uh, uh, which first was run and then was bundled into New York Comic Con and then was vanished. Yeah. And then was returned as just a selfie opportunity. Um so I mean no offense to Reed Pop when they run a show. When they run a show they run it well. But I I do really hope that some of these other convention markets 
um, you know, don't have too much trouble recovering from Reed Con blowing in and out of town. Well, the most interesting part of the story, and unknown to me, and you know, I know a lot about Comic-Cons, Calvin, we all do, Mm. and I did not know anything about this, was that a lot of these shows had localization issues. Mm -hmm. And uh, because they were kind of run by Reed exhibition people uh, in the various cities. And, you know, Reed exhibition does put on trade shows around the world. I mean, they're they're very successful at it, a huge company. They're the world's biggest exhibition company. But um, putting on a pop culture show wasn't always a great fit. Right, you need specialists. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why they created a division focusing strictly yeah. on consumer shows. I mean, until they launched Read Pop, they were strictly a trade show right. organization. And even when they launched um, New York Comic Con, it was a sort of awkward launch, but a visionary launch. Uh, yeah, obviously, Heidi and I, we were there yeah. at the launch. Yeah. Greg Tapelian, uh, who was actually you know, speaking to your anime, NYC, you know, anime NYC, which is also launched by Tapelian, also right. is quite successful yes. and actually serves the fans far better. But Repop uh, seems to have been retrenching. It seems to be, to me, primarily because of the pandemic, because it went yeah. like a year of an exhibition company with no exhibitions to put on. Yeah. 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 And it also yeah. has to do with the phase of expansion. I mean, frankly, it reminds me of a convention version of what happened to one of my favorite restaurants during the uh, pandemic. Um, Bozy Tea Parlor was a cute, tiny little tea and pastry shop. Um, they decided they were going to become a full-on French restaurant. They moved to a big new location the year before the pandemic. And then the pandemic hit, and it completely killed their business. They just they just yeah. died. They could never come back. Um, and, you know, they said on their website that part of it was that they had expanded so soon mm-hmm. yeah. before yeah. the pandemic. that They were just overextended, and the pandemic just was unforgiving of that. And I kind of get the feeling that that's what happened with Reed Pop to a certain degree. I think it is, but um, I think it's significant to note that what you just said, that they tried to launch an anime show and it didn't work and it got more and more not working every year until I remember it was just like some cardboard cutouts. At yeah, this. well, it was worse than that. They didn't try to launch it. They bought somebody else's perfectly good anime show and ran it into the ground. Right. Well, I did, did they bring it? I don't I think they uh, did. I, think they I, did. Think I forgot. I've kind of forgotten exactly what happened. Yeah. But they, you know, it did, wasn't going fast enough for them. I mean, if they tried yeah. to bring it back again, it was a couple yeah. of years later when they heard of my yeah. NYC. Well, and it was a I still think, kind of a strained they, and awkward event. I think the thing is that Peter Tataro worked for them and mm-hmm. put on their version of the anime show. And then it got smaller and didn't work. And so he went off and joined Left Field yes. and then put on a new anime show that Succeeded very, very yes, well. That worked yeah. great, right out, yeah. right for jump. Yeah. And and then Reed Pop was like, "Oh, I guess we should do an anime show." And then they try to do it, and it still flops. Yeah. So you know, I think it's just they're really good at doing the things that I don't. You know, I think Peter was the manga expert, yeah. and once he was gone, like they didn't have somebody who was passionate enough about it to to really make it work. So yeah. listen, they just threw celebration, and it was a huge success. Yeah, there. And I think in some of these overseas markets that they've disengaged from. There also are local vendors who seem entrepreneurial and plan to continue to do pop culture oh, yeah. conventions on their own without Reed. Because yeah. it's certainly, at a certain level, Reed didn't have, you know, Reed really had, seems like they kind of franchised out the name and they yeah. had some people overseeing it, but really it was local vendors who had to put the show on. Right. They actually, um, yeah, the Oz Comic Con is going on under the, yeah. they divested, it's going on. Comic Con India is going on under the people who started it. Um, you know, Indonesia and yeah. Shanghai, no, they're Because these were big shows Singapore. prior to the so pandemic. These are the, I mean, they really expanded internationally. Yeah. Uh, they, South Africa, Vienna, these are all been uh, licensed out. Uh, Parish and the Manchester shows are on furlough. They yeah, so, it's, you know. The, yeah, the, well, the, I'm not surprised about The, the fans, the interest, the market hasn't gone away. Just everybody pop is gone. <laughs> and you know, so and, and you know, our next story is also about what I kind of call the golden age of Comic Cons. I mean, you know, there was that period around, I I guess like twenty twenty twelve, twenty fifteen, around in there. You remember when it was just like they were launching? Maybe it's before that. But anyway, you know, Denver Comic Con. Sure, so, yeah, uh, people yeah, big, fainting in the streets. Sixty, again. seventy thousand so, people, yeah, 70, ninety thousand people. Salt Lake City, people can't get in. Anime I mean, Expo. Just, every time anybody threw a show. Yeah. 
it was just big numbers. This is, yeah, you know, and insane crowds and yes. all that stuff. And you know, this is when everything was moving. And I mean, there's still. I just saw there was a listing of shows now in our pandemic recovery period of, of over two thousand events. So mm-hmm. they're back. Yeah. You know, I, I, they're not going to be quite that level, but um, you know, just yeah. people like to do it in person. Well, but speaking of. But speaking of which, um, so Prism Comics is an organization that has run LGBT comic awards. Um, they have printed a few comics themselves, and they frequently um, run a table as kind of a co-op thing at various different conventions where different LGBT creators um, or publishers can... You have the use of this table as well as, as long as they're promoting queer comics in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they have finally decided to open their own show. It looks like it's going to be the West Coast answer to um, New York's FlameCon. Um, they're, they're opening a new show, and it is coming this June. It is QCon <laughs> in West Hollywood. Yeah. Nice. nice. So... Welcome, QCon. Uh, the world needs you. Yeah. Well, uh, I was also going to say, um, you know, one rather polarizing figure from the golden age of Comic-Cons was Brian Brandenburg, the co-showrunner mm. of Salt Lake City. Started out as Salt Lake City Comic-Con, and then now it's called Fan X because there was a big, long, drawn-out... So long. Uh, lawsuit. So it was the Amber Heard versus Johnny Depp of Comic-Con lawsuits. <laughs> and, I mean, it went on and on where Comic- San Diego Comic-Con was suing the Salt Lake City folks for trademark infringement. And, you know, the Brandenburg did things like show up with a car that said SLCCC, SLCC, drive around San Diego Comic-Con, which is pretty low, low, you know, pretty trash move. I mean, it's a little trashy, but on the other hand, Let's be honest. Flashy. Well, I was going to say, on the other hand, it, it just makes you look like a cheap ripoff. It, I mean, like, if I were San Diego Comic-Con, and I'm clearly not, I would have been more, like, amused and flattered than, you know, lawsuity. I think I would have done, like, a bunch of except no substitutes ads or something. Well... Be that as it may. Uh, He's Brandenburg, an eccentric figure. Yeah, and he really, uh, you know, has been on social media um, with some pretty incendiary posts, which I haven't seen. But anyway, uh, he was arrested in Hawaii for for bomb threats. and um, For bomb threats back to Salt Lake yeah. City, Utah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, Kate, do you, do you know the story you want to talk about? Um, well, uh, he had such interesting emails as, we're going to bomb the third district courthouse. Have a nice day. It's not funny. Uh, unfortunate. But the, the have a nice day part is kind of funny given that no one actually got hurt. Hmm. Um, and I mean, they were even threatening to uh, level the um, Salt Lake City Mormon Temple. So, fun. Not good. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, you know, a colorful, controversial figure, and uh, finally the FBI decided he was very, very controversial and arrested him. So, as they should. I hope he gets yeah. the help he needs. Yeah, he clearly, he clearly needs some help. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, there's some notes that he was in the midst of divorce proceedings, which I really don't know what that has to do with anything. Uh, I, I guess divorce well, the, pushes more people over the, the edge. Well, the court where this divorce was being. Uh, you know, where yeah. it was taking place is where he's making where he's making problems. Yeah. yeah. So. But, I mean, you know, in the long run, so he care. seems unhappy with the, uh, the, the pace. Yeah. He would like the courts to move faster. So he's going to bomb mm. them. That'll speed it right up. That'll, yeah, that'll speed things up. Yeah. Alright. Yeah. On. Well, uh, I'm glad he's not running a convention right yeah. now. Yeah. Alright. So comings and goings. Comings and we goings. Have a few. Yeah. So things are going to be a little different at Marvel. A little different. Um, well, yeah. So, Joe, actually, the two most important figures of comics comeback of the 21st, early part of the 21st century, the <laughs> Go-Go Marvel days, uh, both of them are now true. new positions today. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Joe Quesada, who was uh, editor-in-chief of Marvel from 2000 to 2010, probably 
the most consequential period of Marvel since the Stan and Jack era. Right. Really mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, created so many things that are part of the MCU, but, you know, books like mm-hmm. uh, Civil War, you know, hired Brian M. Bendis to write stuff, yeah. uh, Ed Brubaker, and Ed Chung, and um, on Winter Soldier. I mean, yeah. it's just... The Saw, the Fantastic was, Four yeah. reboot. Uh, I mean, all of this stuff. Yeah. Heroes Reborn. I mean, it goes on and on. It and was, had, he had a big hand in the movies, too, right? Well, he was part of the creative yeah. committee, but, yeah. you know, whether that was a good or bad thing, it depends yeah, on the U.S. Yeah. But anyway, he announced he's leaving Marvel after 22 mm-hmm, years, yeah. and he had ascended to, uh, you know, more executive position as chief creative officer, and he'd been doing some TV shows for them, actually. Um, one of them started out on Disney+, Plus, but now it's on YouTube, um, where he interviews a lot of people. But yeah, he announced he's leaving to pursue his own projects, and... Um, you know, Joe is an incredible artist. Before yeah, that high episode. octane artist, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, and he's going to make a short film. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot. You know, I did discover one thing uh, that he had moved to Idaho. So who knew? We used to be. Oh really? Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't just, know that. Family on the street, and now <laughs> he lives in Idaho. I don't see them on the street. Interesting. Well, I, I you know I've interviewed I've interviewed him a couple of times. Most particularly. Great interview uh, uh, after the passing of Stan Lee. I did a piece about Stan Lee's impact on Marvel. And uh, it was very great talking to him. He was very open, talking about his relationship, his importance of Marvel. It was a, yeah. Yeah. It was a good interview. It seemed like a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then um, the other coming and going, Calvin. Bill Jimmis. Uh, also, just as you mentioned, part of the, the, a tandem of uh, yeah. creative minds that had an impact on Marvel during a, a, a particular period. Uh, and, uh, uh, Bill Jimmis is a, um, I don't know, a mercurial figure. I mean, uh, he's a visionary, an entrepreneur, uh, uh, he's, he's done various startups, uh, including, um, what Double Take, which was a part of the, what was the, the gaming community that was really funding Double Take? Well, he, uh, Take Two. Take Two, right. And uh, where he, Kind of recreated a whole comic book universe around Night of the Living Dead. Uh, it was an interesting. It, an interesting. Uh, uh, and he hired people from the Moths, uh, live storytelling. Yeah, and uh, to to write the comics. The ideas were maybe a little more interesting than mm-hmm. the actual comics, uh, but yes. Uh, and then he moved from there, of course, to artists, writers, and artists. Another uh, new venture. Uh, uh, he he actually. He raised about what ten million dollars in investment, uh, partly from Lightspeed Ventures or mostly from Lightspeed Ventures, the uh, the Murdoch family, young Murdoch family venture. Hmm. Uh, and now he has left uh, AWA, and he's launching another uh, comics venture, Be Good Comics. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And also turn on the lights. Yep. Sorry, Kate, you're going to have a lot of editing on this. Yeah, it's going to be a bit of a pain, but whatever. Um, yeah, well, Bill seems to have a knack um, for starting companies and then leaving companies. So, yeah, he's got his own Be Good, and that will be doing uh, all sorts of multimedia stuff. And it's not, I don't think it's really a comics company. I think it's a media company. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure you're right. <laughs> and they're going to be doing NFTs, um, mm. which they, again, they announced they're going to do them at AWA. Apparently there was outcry, and they're not going to do it. So, um, you know, uh, he is one of a kind. <laughs> yes, he is, and absolutely. good luck, be good. Yeah, good he's luck. an interesting guy, and he's... Yeah, he's yeah. always in motion. Yes. All right. But speaking of things that are always in motion, the comics industry is always changing. Yeah. And there's a new change on the way. Sailing the seven seas. <laughs> With uh, Norma Ray. So, Seven Seas is a independent... Um, manga and light novel publisher. Uh, they've had a lot of hits lately, both critical and financial. Um, they've grown hugely from a staff of 10 to a staff of 40. But apparently all is not well at Seven Seas mm-hmm. as far as the employees are going. So, um, the Communication Workers of America Union um, has been called in 
by the employees to form a union called United Workers of Seven Seas. They even drew two little cat manga avatars of two little pirate cats, and they they were in, encouraging people who support the uh, unionization effort to use said gifts. And they want such astonishing requests as healthcare, <laughs> reasonable workloads with no crunch. <laughs> Clearly defined job roles and organization chart. Robust scheduling department. I mean, I, I have to say, much like um, some other recent comics unionization effort, a lot of this smacks of this company is run by people who don't know how to run a company this size. I mean, Seven Seas puts out really great work, but they grew really fast. Yes. So, this doesn't surprise me. You know, it's interesting. I remember, I mean, I used to actually talk with Jason DeAngelis uh, pretty regularly back in the day. Um, he's an interesting guy. I think he started out as a translator, very knowledgeable about Japanese publishing scene and licensing. Uh, and so, uh, he was pretty visionary. As a matter of fact, I think his original partner was Dallas Mitter, who eventually went on to be a Delway manga. Uh, and Crunchyroll, and I forget what he's well, doing. He was at Viz. He was at, he was at Viz. Viz. He was everywhere. Yeah, everywhere on the manga side, he has been there. Um, but uh, Jason was a visionary guy. It's a it's an interesting company. They make you know manga great books. But, mm-hmm. They make great books. They and they also license works now. I mean, originally the whole thing was to create original material, uh, but not um, to, to do as much licensing. But they they now do a significant amount. Licensing mm-hmm. and bringing, you know, a wide variety of genres to the American, to the North American market. So, uh, but it, the, the fact is that the state of their work conditions as described by this employee group seems, uh, uh, really troubling. Uh, you no know, paid benefits of any kind. Well, that's the shocker because yeah. they are located in Alleged, California. Yeah. And mm-hmm. California has some pretty strict yes. labor laws. So, I mean, I, I don't know how they could get away with, you know, like, yeah. uh, yeah. And to their credit, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the employee group looking to organize, uh, you, they, as part of their demands is to, uh, across the board increases in any kind of benefits and pay for freelancers as well as who yeah. just say, you know, support us, you know, uh, in getting all of this done. So, uh, they have, uh, um, they reached out to the NLRB to file for an election to certify the union, uh, and management has actually responded. In two ways. And the thing is, they have enough workers having signed union cards that, technically speaking, um, you wouldn't even really need an election to see that you've got enough people to win said election for the union, but uh, they're pushing through anyway. Yeah, they declined to voluntarily certify and agree to a union. Uh, And so they, but which is their right uh, to call for an election. Uh And, uh, so that's going to happen, uh, and they, you know, they have said that we will abide by the outcome of the election. Now, on the other hand, they've also hired a legal firm that has a terrible rep- uh, reputation. Uh, was it Ogle Tree and something? It really does sound As a quote-unquote union-busting legal, uh, legal firm. So, that's apprehensive, certainly for the work. Uh, Ogle Tree Deacons. Ogle Tree Deacons, yes. Could be a better name. Yeah. So, yeah, it's one of those law firms who has been described as a uh, discount coat sale mm-hmm. law firm, where they all sound like they should be some kind of of formal wear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to see. Obviously, um, nego- uh, 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 there will be a period uh, of education on both sides, and we're going to have to see the nature yeah. of what they're going to present. Yeah. The employees there. Yeah, and I think some of the outrage and some of the force comes behind the fact that lately Seven Seas has been doing really great business with some really great books. I mean, yep. their financial profile, their industry profile has just been going up and up and up. I mean, they the their new Dan My line where they have licensed all the books of MXTX. And they are branching out into some other works translated from Chinese. And now they are even adding the, 
Grandmaster of Demonic Cultivation Manhua in there, which is going to be like the first big release of a Chinese Manhua that I, I've ever heard of here. Um, you know, these are all minting money. Yeah. Like these books are hitting the the New York Times bestseller list. Wow. And, you know, I can see how the employees who work so hard to make it happen would feel they can afford better working conditions. Yeah. For I, them. I mean, they also put out uh, my lesbian experience of loneliness. Which yeah, is, I've been mean, acclaimed. It's yeah. so acclaimed. Yeah, five years. Yeah, you know? and the the rest of the trilogy by Nabi. I believe her name is Nabi Kata. Yeah. Anyway, but and, I, I, you know, they put out good stuff. Yeah, and I, yeah, it's very very disappointing. It's very yeah. disappointing that they're taking this hack. And um, but this this growth seems to have uh, led to dragooning the the staff into burnout rates of working and yeah uh, you know no paid leave people you know even on your off days you got to be available to That's work I mean according you know according to the charges made by the, uh, well, the union group I mean I, I don't know about this particular place but I do know that both the comics industry and the gaming industry have real crunch yes. problems. And if they've absorbed any of their work culture from the manga industry in Japan, <laughs> oh, it, oh, there's some, yeah, right. there's some real dysfunction <laughs> there. Yeah. So, so, uh, absolute more to come on that. We will, uh, be updating that. Yeah, definitely. As the situation and, develops. And, you know, just, just to quickly though, the unionizing, uh, movement in, you know, kind of geek spaces is absolutely gaining steam. I mean, you know, video games, I, I would say the video game industry yeah. has, has even more issues than the comics industry. No, far more. They are, you know, starting to get the first, uh, they had the first, uh, union at Raven Software, uh, which is a subsidiary of Activision Blizzard. So that's pretty huge. And, um, you know, there are, Oh, there's a lot more to come. On, yeah, on yeah, and of course the, the uh, employees at Image, um, yeah. you know, yeah. voted to certify the union yes. not too long ago. They did unionize, yes. So yeah. uh, there's going to be so, and, so much more. To well, come. You know, speaking of Image, we didn't have on our story list because it broke too late today. But you know, we did talk about Jeff Boyson leaving a couple weeks mm. ago, and he has been replaced by Matt Parkinson, who uh, left. Dark Horse. He was yeah. formerly the VP of marketing at Dark Horse, and now he's like the VP of uh, sales at Image. So. Mm. Um, and then Image also announced a lot of promotions, and pretty much everyone who was not part of the union got a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> so. And we should also say about um, Seven Seas that uh, they, they, there's 40 some employees there. 30 of them were on a signed statement posted by the, the union yeah. group uh, offering their support for a union. So, I mean, yeah. It's not uh, hypothetical that the, most of the employees, employees like are pro-union. They have mm -hmm. put their right. names on Absolutely. the line, uh, uh, you know, on a public platform that they support. So, more to come. More to come. <sighs> more to come. Well, whew. And I think have we come to the end of our road. We've actually come to the end yeah. of our story list. Yeah. So, um, you know, there are things that are heating up out there. It wasn't quite the epic marathon that we had last time, which is a whole month's worth of work, but uh, yeah, a lot happened in the last yeah, couple so, of weeks. Yeah, so... Uh, but, there will be more to come. Come.